Like a chrysalis, we're emerging from the economy of the Industrial Revolution. An economy confined to and limited by the Earth's physical resources into the economy in mind, in which there are no bounds on human imagination, and the freedom to create is the most precious natural resource. Welcome to the Soul of Enterprise, Business and the Knowledge Economy, sponsored by SAGE. Building experiences that connect, remove friction, and deliver insights. I'm Ron Baker, along with my good friend and Verisage Institute colleague, Ed Klass. On today's show, folks, Ed, what are we doing? I, there's so many new words in this darn... A cautionary tale about AI and obviosity. Obviosity. Okay, great. <clears throat> Obviously, obviously, uh, obviously, yes, I'm going to have, I'm going to start having like a sixth grader write our title. So I don't have to deal with your wording. Um, <clears throat> wow. Okay. Yeah. So tell us about, tell us about this, especially well, the first one, the, the cautionary uh, tale. Yeah. Well, I, I, I forget exactly when I came across this, but it was earlier this year, right? when ChatGPT was was uh, getting super popular and uh, coming into this space. And uh, I, I don't know if, I, if somebody sent me this, if, if, if uh, I saw it on Facebook or what have you, but it, it is a, a story by Roald Dahl, who was the author of such things as the, the, the BFG, um, the uh, uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Uh, so you know he he's got a lot of lot of lot of Matilda, another another uh, Roald Dahl right. story, and all the controversy of his work being censored and words yes. being changed and all that. But yes, yes, and yeah, I, yeah. I, I don't know, and I don't know. Maybe that was part of it too. Maybe that's why I came in because it was about the same time when mm-hmm. when his, some mm-hmm. some of the words were being changed in some of his stories. So then maybe that's where I came across it. Um, you know, my my kids have read a lot of his stuff over the years, and it's, he's a he's a very good storyteller. But this is a, a short story of his that was written in 1954 for, called "The Great Automatic Grammatizer," and it, it's it's really clever. We'll point out some of the things in here. And by the first of all, spoiler alert for this show: we are going to be talking about two short stories, "The Great Automatic Grammatizer." And obvious Adams, and if you prefer not to be spoiled, you should go read them first before continuing listening to the show, <laughs> because right, we absolutely. are we're we're, we're going to spoil things. And um, anyway, so the great automatic grammatizer, and it's it's it is a I'll call it a cautionary tale because Ron, it's extraordinarily prescient. I mean, the the the, the basic story is an engineer who had been working on a computer of sorts. And then has the idea for ma- uh, the the fact that that English words can be put into some kind of structure and mathematically put out, and decides that he's going to create a machine that is going to write stuff that write is going to write stories, and he sets about doing this, and it's it's a combination of what's going on inside his head as well as just some back and forth between himself and his boss. So we have uh, Adolf Knipe. Uh, is the the guy who is the, is the engineer and his boss is Mr. Bolin and, and they have uh, some different conversations that, that talk about this and the creation of the machine. So Ron, what, by way of introduction, what else did you want to add to that? No, I mean, John Bolin is his boss and he, he started, I guess, John Bolin Inc. They're electrical engineers. 
mm-hmm. and they had just finished an electrical or an electric computer that could deal with numbers. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he was telling Knipe to take a vacation, you know, well-deserved <laughs> vacation and all that. And um, yeah, it, it's fascinating. And and so the kid goes off, he's a young guy and he goes off and he actually doesn't go on vacation. He sits in his apartment or whatever and works on this idea. Mm-hmm. And it, I just, this is like eerie. <laughs> I just find this story eerie because it's uh-huh. it, it, like it, it, it foresaw chat GPT, not perfectly, but good enough. Sure. Sure. I mean, 54 for crying out loud. <laughs> I mean, 70 years ago. Yeah. He wrote this. It's amazing. Yeah. You got to read this story folks. Really? It, it's mind blowing. So just a little, a, a, a taste of it here. This is, this is when he gets the idea. He was struck by a powerful, simple truth. And this was it, that the English grammar is governed by rules that are almost mathematical in their strictness. Given the words and given the sense of what is to be said, then there is only one correct order in which those words can be arranged. And then he changes it. Then he says, no, he thought that's not quite right. It, in many sentences, there are several alternate positions for words and phrases, all of which may be grammatically correct. But what the hell? The theory is basically true. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so, it, it, you know, he, he just uh, applied this. And what I what I really like is then is the is the conversation where he's trying to convince the boss that it's a yes. really good idea. <laughs> that was boy, that was brilliant. He comes back finally, and obviously he didn't take a vacation, mm-hmm. and he's trying to convince Mister Bolin, his boss, that this is a really cool thing, and uh, it's going to be really valuable. And the boss just doesn't see it. He's, he's like, <laughs> who 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 on earth wants a machine for writing stories? And where's yeah. the money in it anyway? <laughs> you know, just tell me that. Yeah, he says, you know what? I think Nipe, I think you're nuts. <laughs> <laughs> he recognizes he's a genius, though. Right, right, right. And he always says, I have to like, you know, I've got to, I've got to placate this guy a little bit. Yep. Um, so, but it, it, what's so funny about it is like all of the different things that he he builds in, and then he actually goes through and takes him through a a business plan. Right. If you look at it, it's like a business plan. He's like, well, here's here's what here's what we have to do. He's like, it's uh, the people get paid. Uh, we 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 get up to four thousand dollars a week because they'll we're gonna sell we're gonna undercut the people who are writing these stories by half, right? And he says the machine can produce five thousand word story all typed and ready for dispatch in thirty seconds. How can writers compete with that? I ask you, Mister Bolin. How? And this is like these are exact exact conversations that we're having with you know lawyers and accountants who are like it's giving you the answer in- instantaneously. And you know we we talked about one law firm down in in uh, 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 I think it was Australia. This is they're, they're going to charge for. Chat GPT time, I mean, right? Have like, an hourly rate, so the, so the customer doesn't think it's free. Right, right. <laughs> um, but you know, and then he so his his business plan is to, to set it, to set themselves up as their own literary agency, and that that they're going to distribute these stories, and and I, it's it's really just. But my favorite, I think, my favorite part of the story is when he is after he goes takes him through the business plan. 
right? He says there are Mr. There there are a lot of little refinements, Mr. Bolin. You can see them when the when the study plans carefully. For example, there's a trick that nearly every writer uses of inserting at least one long obscure word into each story that makes the reader think that the man is very wise and clever so i have the machine do the same thing there'll be a whole stack of long words stored away for this purpose where in the word memory section he said expogenetically <laughs> which the 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 genius of Roald Dahl behind that is to say okay so was this story written by a grammatizer then because it's <laughs> <laughs> he dumped in the word expogenetically. <laughs> uh, it's it's brilliant. I mean, he he and and you're right. His his business plan and it's part strategy too. I mean, he's got a strategy to monetize this. Mm -hmm. That's brilliant. We'll start our own PR agency and we'll represent these authors whose names we're going to make up <laughs> and and sell to the 15 or so magazines that pay the highest dollar amount per story. And he said, you know, that'll make a million bucks a year. He said, you didn't get any million a year for building this old electronic calculator, did you, Mr. Bolin? <laughs> Which, by the way, the calculator was for government. It was, it was, <laughs> that's right. That's right. <clears throat> it was, it was for, for the government to do this. But and um, he's, tell, he's, he's talking about the literary agent. We'll distribute them and we'll invent all the names we want for the writers. And, and Bolin says, I don't like it, Nipe. To me, that smacks of trickery, does it not? I mean, this this is chat GPT. You're using <laughs> it to write your essays. <laughs> I mean, it, it's it's awesome. <clears throat> and then, Ed, and, and, and this is probably my favorite part. Not only does he come up with the literary agency idea, so we'll mm -hmm. represent all these writers we're making up, then we'll use the writers to pitch beer and other products and get the advertising money. I mean, holy smoke, that is brilliant. Could you see that? I mean, yep. yeah, product placement. Product, yeah, it's brilliant. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Of course, there, there, there is then some trouble in the story because Mr. Bolin all of a sudden decides that he, he wants to uh, be, become a quote writer. <laughs> A literary person, a, a literary yeah, person, because be admired. And... That's right. That's right. <laughs> so Knight mailed out the first dozen stories. He put his own name on four of them, and Mr. Bolin's on one, and the others he simply invented names. Five of the stories sold promptly, with the one with Mr. Bolin's name on it was turned down. With a letter from the fiction writer saying, "This is a skillful job, and in our opinion, doesn't but doesn't uh, doesn't quite come off. We would like to see more of this writer's work." And Mr. Bolin think then gets a little bit jealous that some of the other stories are coming. So he's decided, you know, he wants to do a serious novel, he says. Uh, that'll make him take notice. I've been get, getting rather tired of the short stories you've been putting in my name. And as a matter of fact, I'm not too sure you're trying to make a bit of monkey out of me. And he, he goes through this whole thing. But then, so in order to make the thing write a novel, he has got to make some adjustments to it, right? And so he's, he has to come up with all of these buttons that you have to then press to put the, the novel. And, and this is, um, so th this is Mr. Bolin, the description of Mr. Bolin sitting down to write the novel. With one, one finger, Mr. Bolin carefully pressed, pressed the necessary pre-selector buttons, uh, master button, satirical, subject, racial 
Racial problem, style, classical, characters, six men, four women, one infant, length, 15 chapters. At the same time, he had his eye particularly on three organ stops marked power, mystery, and profundity. Are you ready, sir? Yes, I'm ready. Knight pulled the switch, and the great machine hummed. There was a great whirring sound, that oiled movement from 50,000 cogs, rods, and levers that came drumming to the rapid electrical typewriter, setting up the shrill, almost intolerable chatter. Of course, he also is leaning too heavily on the passion <laughs> the button, and it comes out, and it's it's it says, and he says, it, "This is too fruity, Nipe." Too fruity. <laughs> oh, great stuff! But I mean, it's just really clever the way that it, it all gets pulled together um, in in this what about twenty pages or so. Yeah, and you know the way he describes the the machine, it's got the buttons, and you have to press things and all that. And I was just thinking, Ed, what was what was the the computer around in fifty four, like ENIAC, or you know, yeah. we talked to it through punch cards, right? Punch cards, so you, yeah. So you could see where he thought of, well, I could press this button to get this type of you uh-huh. know, genre or whatever. But and of course now we're typing into ChatGPT with language what we want from it, mm-hmm. but it, it it's just it's mind blowing that he thought of this in 54. I just, I can't get over that. Right. Right. Of course. Um, I, I think it's, uh, it's, it's also dull taking a, a bit of a swipe at writers themselves. So I think that I thought that was pretty clever. Well, he talks about when he's, he, when he reviewed all the magazines about how much crap it was that was published, <laughs> you know, and that that's still true. I mean, yep. you know, this has been part of the culture forever. There's been a ton of crap in the popular culture forever. That's nothing new. Yep. Nope. Nope, absolutely. All right. Well, Ron, we're up against our break. I want to remind you, you can get a hold of Ron or me by sending an email to asktsoe at verisage.com. Of course, the website is the soul of enterprise where you can see show notes as well as previews to upcoming shows. We do have a Patreon channel available at patreon.com slash TSOE. That Patreon channel is at a certain level. You can get a sponsorship and get a shout out like Geraldine Carter did. Geraldine is with Business Strategy for CPAs podcast. Check her out at geraldinecarter.com. But now, a word from our sponsor. Follow Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. Have you ever listened to an advertisement for a book so many times that you question the existence of God? Me too. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I recorded the advertisement for Ron and Ed's book, The Soul of Enterprise Dialogues on Blah 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 Whatever, and four years later, we're all tired of it, especially me. But thankfully, there's a solution. For just $10 a month, you never have to hear my voice again. For a commercial-free version of The Soul of Enterprise, go to patreon.com slash TSOE and subscribe now. Sage provides accountants with compliance, reporting, and analytic solutions to do more for their clients. These solutions include education programs such as the Sage Accountants Network Client Advisory Service Program. This program delivers the tools to create, package, price, market, and deliver additional services to clients, increasing your profitability and delivering more value to your clients. Let Sage help you grow your business by visiting Sage Accountants Network. 
Voiceamerica.com. Voice America is on LinkedIn. Connect with us today. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. Welcome back, everybody. We're talking about a cautionary tale about AI and this short story by Roald Dahl. And Ed, the other thing that was amazing, he, he after they run this thing for a while, he tells his boss, we've still got too much competition. Why don't we just absorb all the other writers in the country? Like Rockefeller did with the oil company. <laughs> <laughs> we'll just buy them out. We'll just squeeze yeah. them out. So yeah. he goes after the list of 50 of the most successful writers in the country, and he offers them a lifetime contract with pay so they don't ever write another word. And and the boss says, they'll never agree to that. And, and Nipe says, you don't understand writers. <laughs> Well, what about the creative urge, Knipe? He said, it's bunk. All they're really interested in is the money, just like everybody else. <laughs> I mean, cynical, but yes. probably got probably got some truth to it. And, and you know, he got a lot of, he, I guess it's, the story says he got about 70% of the writers to sign. Mm-hmm. Knipe says something like, thankfully, there's not too many good ones, <laughs> you know, that would never sign. Right. And, uh, yeah. And, and, of course, the way it ends is fascinating as well the very last paragraph i which i don't want to give away Mm -hmm. but that it's profound actually yeah yeah so yep no good stuff but i i did i did like the 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 section just before the ending and he's talking about he he got got uh, this this woman who wrote romance novels to sign um and it was, and and you know why she signed? And she and he says why? It wasn't the money. She got plenty of that. Then why? Knight grinned, lifting up his lip and uh, uh, barring a long, pale upper gum, because she saw that the machines made stuff was better than her own. And then he says there thereafter, Knight wisely decided to concentrate upon mediocrity. Anything better than that, and there were so few of them that it didn't matter. Was apparently not quite so easy to seduce. <laughs> Brilliant. He said, if the authors had taken to drink, they were the easiest to handle. <laughs> they sign immediately. <laughs> but but that's a great point. You know, it kind of goes back to Rob Long's point uh, about if you're a terrible writer, this will kill you. Mm-hmm. Right? Because it'll produce stuff that's better than yours. Better than yours, yeah. It just The other thing that's fascinating about this, Ed, early on in the story, uh, after he comes back to Mr. Bowling, he's trying to convince him of this machine. The first, one of the first things he tells them is, I don't really care for my work here. Mm-hmm. You know, my heart's not in it. I'm mm-hmm. good at it, but my heart's not in it. Mm-hmm. And how many times do we talk about purpose and passion right. and that intersection of the Venn diagram? Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we're, ugh. don't tell me this is anything new with Gen Z or Gen, whatever. Mm-hmm. This purpose stuff is wired into humans since we've been walking around absolutely no question about it yeah and, and yeah so it's a, it's a it's a fun story with the with a with a business spin on it so strongly encourage people to to, to pick up the 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 great automatic grammatizer so rolled all yeah well, well done well done glad you glad you ran across that that was just a fantastic story 
All right. right. What's next? Because you found this one too. Uh, Well, I was watching a, a, it wasn't a TED talk. It was a a talk that Rory Sutherland gave, I think internally at Ogilvy that they recorded Mm. and released. And uh, he, he mentions this book in passing. It's actually on one of his slides that, you know, he, he was, he, he asked, I, I guess at one point his boss for a recommendation on a book and he thought he was going to come back with, you know, something like Druck or whatever. And instead the boss comes back with this, this story uh, by um, the guy's name. I'm going to get the cover here. Oh, uh, Robert R. Updegraff, <laughs> Robert R. Updegraff. And it's called obvious Adams the story of a successful businessman. And apparently this, this, this story was kind of big for a while. Um, Huge. Yeah. It ran in the Saturday evening post in Mm -hmm. April of 1916. And there was such a demand, I guess they turned it into a little book. Mm -hmm. Some publishers saw the opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Became, this is from the, the, there's a little, um, preview of it. Obvious Adams became a legendary character. He was quoted in business conferences and at board meetings. Heads of companies wrote the author to ask if the hero of the story was a real person and that and if he was, they wanted to engage his services. His obviousness influenced the thinking of some of the outstanding industrial leaders of the day, men of character such as Albert H. Gary, who was the head of U.S. Steel, who read the book and wrote the author an appreciative letter. So... It, it it made me think. Um, it, it, I guess it wasn't based on a character, you know, like how Madman, you know, mm-hmm. based it on a right, right, conglomeration right. of different advertising agency guys like Ogilvy and others. But um, yeah, who was who was who was obvious Adams and Mad Men? That was my question. Oh, okay. It, it wouldn't have been Draper. I don't. No, think. no. Wouldn't have been him, but some somebody was the obvious Adams. Maybe I don't know, but yeah. Although <laughs> although some 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 of the the principles that Don Draper did pr- do follow some of the obvious Adams framework. They do, so we'll, which we will talk about that. So they do. All right. Well, tell us a little bit about the story, Ron. Well, uh, his son writes the foreword, and you know, I guess the dad had uh, added a couple tests to it: five ways to test the obviousness of ideas and plans. And then he wrote five creative suggestions for seeing and doing the obvious. Um, Robert Updegraff uh, lived between 1889, 1977. Um, and he talks about, um, well, I, you know, growing up, he didn't work in a grocery store. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Somebody else's, his dad owned a grocery store, but he worked in somebody else's. Uh, which is what I think I got out of the story too. But um, he, he, he hears a lecture from an advertising guy and he wants to work for him and he just shows up at his office and he asks him for a job because that's what you, that's the obvious thing to thing do. To do. I, <laughs> I, I, this guy inspired me. I heard his talk and I want to work for him. And right. um, the, the guy didn't hire him and he uh-huh. said, that's okay. He said, I'll come back and I'll be ready for you to hire me. And he ends up actually running the agency at some point mm-hmm. because, but, um, but anyway, what it would, you know, early on, I didn't, I didn't really highlight much from the early part of the book. I, I focused mm-hmm. more on what some of the obvious things he did and, and why is it that being obvious is so hard? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I thought some of those lessons were really good. Um, because, as, as the son writes, I think it's the son in the foreword. He said, this book's big ideas are rarely practiced. 
which is fascinating when you think about it, mm-hmm. right? Um, he, and he says, instead of doing deep data dives and attending meetings to think outside the box or baffle gab, gabbing, what a great word, baffle gabbing <laughs> about paradigm <laughs> shifts, the book's protagonist, Obvious Adams, gets out of the office, goes into the marketplace, visits the scene, touches, observes, listens, and makes notes. You know who else did that? Stanley Marcus and mm-hmm. Sam Walton. Mm-hmm. Walton was fanatical about going to Woolworths and other companies with a little notebook and walking up and down the aisles, watching customers, taking notes. It's just like Drucker. Look outside. Get outside yeah. your office and go observe the world. Right. And right. we don't do that. We we hole up and we like our grand ideas and plans and theories. And that's all this guy ever did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the, and the, he's, he, you mentioned he comes in, he says, Mr. Oswald, I've decided that I want to get into advertising business and I want to work for you. And I thought the obvious thing to do was to come and tell you so. <laughs> Concept. <laughs> right. Um, and then the, 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 uh, the, the boss does, kind of reflects back on it. And he says, how many of us has the sense enough to, to, say, to see and do the obvious thing? How many of us have the persistency enough to follow through our ideas of, about what is obvious? In our organization, there ought to be some place for a lad who had enough sense to see the obvious thing and do it and then go about it directly without any fuss and fireworks and just do it. I like how he talks about meeting. I think it was his, one of his first times where he's pitching to a potential customer and it's a paper company and the, and the CEO or whoever is telling them about how they make paper and, and the care they use and all the things they do to make sure that it, you know, is a fine product. And, uh, and Adam says, well, we need to tell that story. And the CEO says, but we'd, we'd be the laughing stop laughing stock of all the paper makers in the country because that's exactly how they do it we're not doing anything novel mm-hmm. and adams leans down to him and he says mr Merritt, to whom are you advertising paper makers or paper users <laughs> it, it reminds me of the the, the fish and uh, bait and tackle shop owner who you know selling neon lures and some fisherman comes in and he's looking at it and it's, you know, really bright. And it, he says, the fish really go for these. He says, I have no idea. I don't sell them to the fish. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't get more obvious than that. And then the story about him dealing with the, the two different stores in the same city, but mm-hmm. one is really doing great and the other is not so great. And the one not doing great is on main street. Mm-hmm. Yep. A bunch of people walking by it, and and he just sits across the street and observes this, and comes up with a really obvious insight about why it's not doing as well. Yeah, yeah, and, and you know, yeah, we don't do that anymore. I, you know, I think, I think, um, I think, um, uh, Crispin Porter, when they did the Domino's campaign, that said, you know, hey, we know our pizzas taste like the box. Mm-hmm. You know, yep. and they told the CEO, hey, we can't help your company because your pizza tastes like crap. Mm-hmm. I think they went out and observed and talked to customers and figured out, you know, what was the problem. Um, but boy, it, it does seem like it's rare. I'd, I'd really like Tim's input on this, too. Mm-hmm. I'd like to talk to Tim about Tim this. Tim Williams too. about it. Yeah. 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 
Well, he's a clear and concise writer, certainly. All right, Ron, we're up against our next break, however, so we got to pay the bills here. So I want to remind you, you can get a hold of Ron or me by sending an email to asktsoe at verisage.com. The website is The Soul of Enterprise. Show notes, previews to upcoming shows, always available for you out there. Our second break here is sponsored by 90 Minds. They are a Patreon sponsor of ours as well. Need a mind? Find one at 90minds.com. But right now, a word from our sponsor. Enjoying our shows and can't get enough of us? Follow us on Instagram at Voice America Talk Radio and see what we're cooking up for you. Sage provides accountants with compliance, reporting, and analytic solutions to do more for their clients. These solutions include education programs such as the Sage Accountants Network Client Advisory Service Program. This program delivers the tools to create, package, price, market, and deliver additional services to clients, increasing your profitability and delivering more value to your clients. Let Sage help you grow your business by visiting sageaccountantsnetwork.com. Have you ever listened to an online radio show that changed your life? I'm required to say that I have. Have you ever stopped listening to an online radio show because the commercials were mind-numbingly repetitive? Of course you haven't because you're here right now. Look, you don't have to listen to me anymore. There's a commercial-free version of this show, and it only costs $10 a month. And for $15 a month, you get no commercials plus bonus content. Go to patreon.com slash TSOE, subscribe now, and be free. You're worth it. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. Welcome back, everybody. We're digging into the book, Obvious Adams, The Story of a Successful Businessman. This is written in 1916, uh, recommended by Rory Sutherland. And another thing that really interested me, Ed, was when he talked about the day will come when railroads will get over their secrecy about fares. Never really thought about this, but this was a really interesting historical point. Mm-hmm. He said they will get hundreds of thousands of dollars from people who do not travel now, but who would travel if they realized how little it costs to travel comparatively short distances. Um, he said, just publish the prices of their tickets from city to city in their timetables. And that's true. If you go back and you look at some of those timetables for the railroads, they didn't publish prices. Mm-hmm. It's like they kept it a secret. And now think of today, you know, you go on the, different airline sites and the prices are right up front, you know, even sites that compare different airlines fares. Um, but it wasn't, it, that wasn't, that wasn't done back then. Mm-hmm. And so that was, I mean, talk about something that's blatantly obvious, but <laughs> they didn't do it for whatever reason. Now, who knows, there could have been ICC regulations. I mean, you know, I don't know, but it, that, that's really interesting. Um, 
so then I guess later on sometime in the, was it in the fifties or something that, uh, in 1953, when the original author and mm-hmm. he did pass away at 70 uh, in 1977, he was 88 years old and he was still writing. He also wrote some books under other names, other pen mm-hmm. names. Um, one of which looked really good. And I went and looked at it. Uh, it's, it's something like try giving yourself away. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And that, that, that was a very provocative title. Um, but he laid out in in this edition that he that he added uh, five tests for obviousness, mm-hmm. and he said the trouble is the obvious is apt to be so simple and commonplace that it has no appeal to the imagination. We all like clever ideas and ingenious plans, so he laid out these five tests to recognize the obvious. Right, and. I, I think the first one is absolutely profound. This problem when solved will be simple. Yep. I mean, this is the kid telling the people that, you know, when the truck gets stuck in what is the Lincoln tunnel, well, mm-hmm. why don't you just let the air out of the tires? Yeah. You know, all the engineers are standing around going, what are we going to do? Yeah. <laughs> yep. And, and well, and I guess the, the, this was borrowed from, from, uh, the guy who was at General Motors who had it on the wall at GM GM's research building that the problem yes, we solve will be will be simple, uh, and I, I just and I think that that's so still true today that that, that we we again we want to see something clever we want to know the we it, it, and we are struck by stuff clever but will it work does is it is it the obvious solution um, and look this gets to uh, we're going to be talking to, in two weeks about uh, with, with the author of uh, simple complexity and we've already done a show. On that, but this harkens back to 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 those systems thinking ideas. Yep. Is, you know that 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 the the, the solution is going is going to be simple, and this is really Occam's razor too, Ron, isn't it? I think so, and it, it also reminds me a lot of the stuff you talk about about people's reluctance sometimes to uh, adopt technology. You know, because mm-hmm. they just don't want to. I, I think in your story about the guy with the inventory transfers, All right, Frank, the story of Frank, it, it, yeah. 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 Um, so that's the first test. This problem when solved will be simple. The second test is, does it check with human nature? You know, and that's part of the Frank story too. I mean, we've, you've got to make sure that, that, you know, people can, this is easy. It's gotta be Mm -hmm. easy. I mean, I, part of that is kind of troubling to me because it makes it like the common man seem like an idiot, but sometimes, you know, if something's not simple, um, I, I just think back to, you know, how they tried to make elevators, people feel comfortable in elevators when there's no elevator operator mm-hmm. there. I mean, that was a big deal and what they had to do to do that and how long it took, they had to put a big stop, big red stop button, mm-hmm. right? Because you wanted people to feel safe. They had to, it's where they started to pump in music, you know, to calm people down, <laughs> getting in this little room with it, you know, feeling completely out of control. I mean, it's hard to think about it, what, what that would have been like, but yeah, it would have been freaky mm-hmm. to get in an elevator with no, if you were used to elevator operators your entire life. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I just, and you see that in kids sometimes the first time a child goes into an elevator, they're like, what are you, what are we doing? What are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> what? 
what are we doing here? This makes no sense, you know. Uh, but yeah, I mean, and they, they, I and I think that's true. It's like, it's, it's, how many times have you heard something where where it, so the, the level of complexity that's being explained? You're just like, this is not going to work. And this is, by the way, I think why a lot of challenging political issues because the, the, there's nuance and people don't like nuance. They want the simple, plain, obvious answer. That, oh, yep. That makes, that makes sense. The, you know, I think it's this not, might big, not be correct, but that's how they perceive it. I think this was the big problem with value pricing. Value pricing did not com- does not, does not comport to human nature. Mm-hmm. It's very counterintuitive. And I think in some respects we complicated it too much. Mm-hmm. which is one of the things I think subscription does comport to human nature because it's simple. There's no cognitive load. There's just the initial decision of mm-hmm. whether or not I should subscribe. And that cognitive load has been greatly reduced by the cancel button. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, so um, his third test is put it on paper, be able to explain it in a few paragraphs and be able to have a child read it and understand it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a good test. Um, but this is it, this is where I just related a quick feedback run to, to chat GPT is, the, I mean, have you played at all with the function where you say, all right, well, exp- explain that to a, a fourth grader or explain that to it and, yes, and yes. how chat GPT will break something down like that. And I think that that's a great example of what chat GPT uh, is going to be really helpful for, right. To break Absolutely. that stuff down. And, you know, the, the, uh, as as somebody somebody said when when they were looking at at the analysis that was done by, by you know in Hector's video, I said, well, it's that that all of that that's obvious. Yes, it's obvious to you as an accountant. It's not necessarily obvious to the business owner, and I think that's what was so so neat about it. Right, right. When the, when you tell it to summarize something in three bullet points or mm-hmm. something, it, it it does a really really good job. Um, his fourth test, which I also love, is yeah. does, does it explode in people's minds? Mm-hmm. You can see the light come on. You know, we saw this with VP, the problems with the billable hour. We see it with subscription. But you just know when an idea takes off inside somebody, when it just burns a hole in them. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can see it. Yep. And the the whole, and why didn't we think of this before? I, I mean, how many times have you had that, that happen to you? Like, I, I can't believe that somebody didn't think of this before. <laughs> right. Or I thought this, but I just didn't have the words <coughs> to articulate mm. what my problems were with the billable hour here. We hear that a lot too. Mm-hmm. And even now with value pricing, you know, I've always had issues with value pricing, but now that I see subscription as a superior thing then you know now i have a language to comprehend it mm-hmm. um and of course the fifth test and and this is this is really critical too and probably not paid enough attention to is the time ripe many ideas are out of time and i thought of matt ridley's book when he's talking about the wheels on the luggage mm-hmm. remember that yep. took that took decades to i mean you think why would something like that take decades to be able to pull a bag through an airport? Well, because you had porters and, you know, you had a whole infrastructure based around not having, not having it be easy. Right. Mm-hmm. And it, it, when they did try to put it out, it, it was way ahead of its time. Nobody could see it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and that, that's, that, that's a, a big challenge, but that's, that's the diffusion of innovation curve too. Right. That's the, absolutely the, you know, absolutely. That you know, just it's just going to take time. You have those early adopters, those people who see it, who get it, 
but then it, it takes some time to to fully diffuse throughout the outup. But and sometimes that 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 and that's what I think that is is a struggle for so many people in business is that they just say, well, that was a bad idea. We tried it before and it didn't work. Well, maybe the time was just timing wrong. wasn't right. Right. Maybe, maybe we the timing was again. Yeah. Yeah. I think about like the iPad. The iPad didn't seem to be the best timing, wasn't it? it remind me when the iPad that was after the iPhone. Oh yeah, no, significantly, yeah, yeah, and it, but it was just like, well, wait a minute, what's he talking about? Something in between your phone and mm-hmm. the computer? Why would I need that? You know, and now, of course, could you live without your iPad? No, me neither. The things I do on my iPad is just, <laughs> I it's mean, stunning, I, probably, yep. yeah, yeah. You know, well, score, scoring baseball games, I use it. I use it when I canter in church. I use it that, that for reading. I mean, it's just, just, just the list goes on and on and on and on and on. Yeah. So, so. The, the, so these five tests of obviousness are, I think, are really good. The problem, when solved, will be simple. Does it check with human nature? Put it on paper. Be able to explain it to a child. Does it explode in people's minds? And is the time ripe? So... Ron, those are just so obvious. <laughs> they are. It's, it's kind, of, kind of like conventional wisdom. Uh, they're a lot more wisdom than conventional. Yes. No, absolutely. Do yep. stuff. I mean, even George Orwell said sometimes the first duty of intelligent men is the restatement of the obvious. Mm-hmm. It's very true. Yep. So what did anything else strike you in those tests of obviousness? You know, just that, that I I like them taken together as a system. I think that's, that's important that they're interdependent. They're, they're interdependent with each other and that you, you, you just can't get to one of them go, okay, well, if if, if that works, all right. Yeah, no, I've got it on paper. It's fine. We're good. We're, we're, no, you've got to run it through against all five of the tests to, to, to really see if that's the case. Uh, so I, I do, I do, did appreciate the, those, the, the interdependence of that, uh, that was, it was laid out in that. And I, I'm not quite sure, you know, if he, there's, there's no background in this as to how he came up with these and how they relate back to the story. I wish there was a little bit more uh, yeah. in there that, that said, okay, here's, here's the insight. This is where I pulled it from in the book. So I, I thought that that was a, an obvious miss. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wish there would have been more stories about some of the obvious things he pointed out in his work. You know, mm-hmm. they had, they, they had the paper company, they had that store. I think there's maybe one or two other stories they tell, but that would have been really interesting to see some yeah. of his other work. Some of the advertising he the did. Copy that there was a story, but where he does the advertising copy and there's not, a, there's not an example of it where he, t- you know, took it from this to that. They just say, you know, he was able to summarize it much simpler terms than we, when we've been working weeks on it. So. Right. Or, or just the picture, how he redid a picture. So mm-hmm. you're like, I think it was a man's hat. And didn't they have the picture of the hat on the man? Mm-hmm. It's like, no, the ad is about the hat, get rid of the man. And right. just show the hat and make it a mm-hmm. little bit bigger. <laughs> Put yeah. the copy around it. It's like, yeah. <laughs> who, yeah. Who are you selling to? <laughs> who, who are you selling to? No, exactly. All right. Well, when we get back from our break, Ron, we're going to take through the last section of the book, which is the five created approaches to the obvious. But right now, I want to remind you, you can contact Ron or me by sending an email to asktsoe at verisage.com. Website is the soul of enterprise, but we'd also love for you to go out and rate this podcast. You can do that by going to ratethispodcast.com slash TSOE. If you do rate 
rate the podcast. We will read it on live on the air, whether or not it's good, bad, indifferent, but love for, for you to, to be able to, to write those reviews and, and make it easier for others to find the show. But right now, a word from our sponsor and my employer, Sage. Birdie told me Voice America is on Twitter. Follow us at Voice America TRN. Sage provides accountants with compliance, reporting, and analytic solutions to do more for their clients. These solutions include education programs such as the Sage Accountants Network Client Advisory Service Program. This program delivers the tools to create, package, price, market, and deliver additional services to clients, increasing your profitability and delivering more value to your clients. Let Sage help you grow your business by visiting sageaccountantsnetwork.com. Have you ever been so annoyed by a commercial for a $5 ebook that you were willing to pay $10 to never hear it again? I sure have. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. Over the last several years, you've come to hate me, and I hate me too. By now, you know that for $5, you can get a copy of Ron and Ed's book. What you might not know is for twice that much every month for forever, you can stop hearing Hearing me plug Ron and Ed's book, which totally makes sense, like the Diamond Water Paradox. Go to patreon.com slash TSOE and subscribe today. Please, for the love of God, make it stop! The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com tuned into the soul of enterprise with ron baker and ed class to find out more about our show visit us on the web at the soul of you can also chat with us on twitter using hashtag ask tsoe now back to the soul of enterprise and we are back on the soul of enterprise and we were are talking this show about two books that ron and i came across they're little booklets actually i would call them short stories one is the great Automatic Grammatizer by Roald Dahl. And then the second book that we're dealing with today is Obvious Adams, the story of a successful businessman. And Ron, the last section of the book, when this was added as an as a as an appendage after the, the original book came out, are five creative approaches to the obvious. And the, the fir- first one, and, and I love it because it's also another series of, uh, I think, great questions. You know how we, we love our questions here on the Soul of Enterprise. Right. So the, the, the way that this is phrased. But the first is, never mind how a thing has always been done or how other people want to do it. What is the simplest way possible of doing it? What is the simplest way possible of doing it? Yep. You know, you brought up Charles Kettering earlier, the GM mm-hmm. engineer, and that guy was profound and prolific as well. He also, I don't know if this was a plaque in his office, but he was fond of saying, if you have always done it that way, it's probably wrong. <laughs> well, and I just wanted to tie this to a, to par, a part in the story that I thought that that, that struck me. Um, 
And this was one of he, he was he's working through a particular change in the method of something that he was doing. His boss heard him through and then asked him what was to be what was to be gamed. Adams told him that it would save about a quarter of the time and handling and errors would be almost impossible. And what I really liked about that phrase, Ron, is that it dealt with both the effectiveness and the efficiency piece See. of it. Right. So it was the fact, oh, yes, it's going to save a quarter of the time. But it was going to eliminate errors, make errors almost impossible. And I, re I really latched on to that piece because, you know, we talk a lot about the effing debate, efficiency versus effectiveness, and how it was important that you know, what the real gain here is that it's it completely or almost eliminated the errors. So, yeah, yeah, it's a great one. And, and I love this second test, too. And we talked about this, I think, even last week, we talked about this a little bit. Uh, suppose the whole thing were to be completely reversed. In other mm -hmm. words, you know, rather than thinking about, can we get a boat to fly? Could we get an airplane that floated? And mm -hmm. that's how you get the seaplane. You know, this, this goes back to Brandon Poe, you know, the, the sixth grade of hats author. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He had this thing called, what did he call? He called it Poe thinking or something, P.O. thinking, where you would mm -hmm. just reverse whatever mm -hmm. it was you were working on. So, hey, we sit on roller coasters. Well, what if you stood on them? Well, of course, there are standing roller coasters mm -hmm. because of an insight like that. So I just love that whole idea. What if we just reverse this whole thing? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, and they even they even do bring up the 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 Convair Sea Dart. So on, mm -hmm. on this, right, right. So yep. in this section, so yeah, it's a really it's a it's a great example. And then how you know just like uh, this one tool that they said, well, if we lubricate it from the top, gravity will pull pull the oil down <laughs> as opposed to trying to push it up. It's like of course. <laughs> right. It reminds me of the Russians and NASA. They, mm -hmm. they spend $2 million on a pan that rides upside down, and the Russians use a pencil. So, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't think that's a true story, but it's a great one. It's a, it's a, good, it's a good line. Um, the third one is, can a vote be taken on it or the public's help actively enlisted? What, 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 you, what struck you about that one, Ron? Can a New vote be taken on it? New Coke. Mm hmm. New Coke. I, I mean, and do Coke. I thought it tasted better. I thought it was now I'm Pepsi fan more than okay. Coke fan, but and and new Coke did taste more like Pepsi. But <laughs> but but in Tate in blind taste tests, everybody loved it. So there was the vote, right? Mm -hmm. Until you saw it on the shelf and it wasn't classic Coke mm -hmm. and people freaked out. And yeah, so how, how do you do that? Mm -hmm. maybe they maybe they needed to take those blind tests further and then reveal the the actual can and say hey and then maybe some people would have reacted quite negatively to it being changed and i and i think the same thing right now is going on with evs trying to get people out of their combustion into evs it's not working so well yeah. <laughs> i've got a story in my stack for the bonus about how china is um you think we're a graveyard for evs sitting on dealer lots mm -hmm. they're a massive graveyard over there they've got they've got a ton of evs that are just rotting away these are going to be industrial waste sites after a while <laughs> given some of the parts that are in these things right um, right but this is you know it, how could we uh, solicit the public's help to convert to evs i don't know but it's a great question. It's the mm -hmm. right thing to be asking. This is Roy's idea of the category. 
let's right. stop working about branding and start thinking about the category. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Those are some of my thoughts. What were some of yours on that? Yeah. You know, I think that's, that, that's a tough one because like, like I said, the, the, if, if, if the public were educated on it already, we wouldn't need to be taking the vote. Right. So it's, it's, right. a, it's a, so that I think there's always a, a, a yin yang approach to that attention between those two things. Right. Um, but you know, I guess this is, this is an argument for focus groups or surveys or just, but, but keeping them simple just to see what, but again, you know, we, we've seen a lot of times where people don't put down on, on the, the survey, what actually they think. And, oh. and Jobs never did a focus group. He says customers mm-hmm. don't know what they want until they're showed it, like the iPad that we were talking about, mm-hmm. right? Yep. I didn't know I would be so dependent upon an iPad when it first came out. I thought it was, well, it was kind of frivolous. Yeah, yeah, no, well, the, not really. <laughs> what the, the old, the old again, apocryphal line from Henry Ford: "If I'd given the public what they wanted, they would have, I would have given them a faster horse." Oh. Right, right. So his fourth test is what opportunity is being overlooked because no one is bothered to develop it. So that's interesting. So I, I love, I love the story out of the book when he talks about Ben Franklin needing two pairs of glasses to see close up far away. Mm-hmm. Right. And that was the insight for bifocals. Th- this also reminded me of some of the questions in a more beautiful question mm-hmm. by Ber- uh, Warren Berger, who we interviewed. Um, how many of those questions, you know, daddy, why can't we see the pictures now? Mm-hmm. And you know he developed the Polaroid camera. Right? Why can't your windshield blink? You know when it's light raining. Mm-hmm. So the intermittent wiper, and right. it just goes on and on. The the number of questions that led to a great insight. Um, that's that's the other thing that I thought about with this this fourth test. Yeah, no, I thought that that was. I mean, uh, look, this is the, this is the creativity part, right? Was is trying to find that that opportunity that's being overlooked because no one's bothered to develop it. But again, it will only it only it only seems obvious in retrospect sometimes too. So right, it's kind of like strategy. It, it, we can all identify a great strategy in hindsight, mm-hmm. like Southwest Airlines, great strategy. Right. But nobody could see it at the time. In fact, when Herb Kelleher used to draw it out on napkins, people thought he was nuts. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Well, the last and final one, Ron, is what are the special needs of the situation? This one one's struck me as, as a little odd. But then as I began to think about it, I'm like, huh, this, this one might be one of the, the most profound when you begin to think about it. What are the special needs of the situation? That uh, and and he he gives a story of um, you know the the Pullman accommodations uh, mm. and they developing the different car designers and you know what what they they were more being developed for convenience uh, rather than uh, luxury. So, right, right, yeah, no, it, it it it's a it it's a great little book. I don't think it's a five star book. I thought I thought it was more of a four star book. Yeah, but uh, it it's got some really interesting lessons and yeah. Uh, the obvious is a lot of times overlooked and overlooked for sure. Yep. Well, the, the closing line of it is the, the, the world is full of unexpressed unsensed needs waiting for the right man or woman who will bring obviousness to bear 
on the unsolved problems of everyday living, they will be richly rewarded. And I think that that's absolutely true. That's the, the story of the entrepreneur. Um, the last thing in the book quickly is just a, a manager's toolkit, which is basically saying, hey, listen, what 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 if you were to, to re read Obvious Adams as a group <laughs> and mm -hmm. ask people to apply it to you know their, their jobs, which I think is an obvious solution. Yeah. <laughs> And, and, and an obvious pitch for, to buy more books. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, Ed, two great picks for this week. Uh, that's great. Um, those were really good, especially the doll story. I just love that. Mm -hmm. What do we have on store for next week? Ron, next week, we are going to be interviewing Max Emma, who is a new Soul of Enterprise sponsor about his work at a box keeping and his franchise that development that he's put together. So I look forward to that conversation with him and look for the preview of a new commercial featuring box keeping coming up next week. Excellent. I'll see you in 167 hours. This has been the Soul of Enterprise, Business, and the Knowledge Economy, sponsored by Sage, building experiences that connect, remove friction, and deliver insights. Join us next week, folks, on Friday at noon Pacific time. In the meantime, check us out at soulofenterprise.com for full show notes and where you can find the stories that we talked about today. Also, you can contact Ed or me at asktsoe at Thanks for listening, folks. Have a great weekend.